Hello, everyone. This is uh, part two of Esther chapter eight. Um, if you recall from the last uh, section, the last part, last recording, uh, we talked about how the Bible is loaded with uh, these things called, we'll call the great reversals. Um, <clears throat> uh, how each, what seemingly is ins- insignificant, is used by God in a significant way. Uh, we talked about how Mordecai and Esther, uh, where they were, uh, well, specifically Esther was like uh, a refugee that was in the lowest in the social, uh, in all of the social circles, and uh, she eventually became a queen. It was used by God to save uh, the Jews. And throughout Scripture, we talked. Uh, I also even went back to, and jumped through the Bible a little bit about how God uses seemingly insignificant people. Um, for his glory, and it's, uh, and he does it intentionally, uh, so that man can never take any credit for what happens in life. Um, in this book, even though God is never mentioned, he gets all the glory, even though, uh, people don't even worship him at the end of this. Uh, we'll talk about it later, but with Purim, the little festival that they have, is really a celebration of each other. It's the celebration of Mordecai and Esther, but they don't acknowledge God. It's not one of those, uh, sacrifices that they, or celebrations where they sacrifice things to the Lord for his faithfulness. It's almost like, uh, we, it's, it's a praise of their own self-achievement. Um, <clears throat> but yet despite all of these, uh, instances in the, uh, book of Esther, we still see this principle carry out throughout scripture that those, uh, the great reversals are how God, is how God operates in the life of the believer. Um, I mentioned I have eight of them. Uh, we'll see if we get through all eight this week. Uh, but I'll start with the first one. And the one of the great reversals in scripture is that the last becomes first. The last becomes first. Uh, as mentioned, uh, Esther was in the lowest of the social class. She was a refugee, refugee and she was used by other men, uh, unbeknownst to her. And even these men that was using her was actually under the sovereign will of God. Uh, God's hand was moving through them, even though uh, the people didn't even realize they needed a savior. And this is exactly how it is even with our lives. Um, in order for us to be saved, we first, uh, even before we were saved, we didn't even realize that we need a savior. But God worked it out in our lives so that we providentially hear his word and eventually we um, acknowledge him and worship him. Uh, Mark chapter 9, verse 35, this is should be familiar to to most of you where it talks about the uh the disciples were arguing over which is who's the greatest in uh mark nine thirty five uh Jesus tells them that they need to have a childlike faith uh sitting down, he called the twelve and said to them, "If anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all, taking a child, he set him before them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them. Whoever receives one child like this is is my in my name receives me, and whoever receives me does not receive me, but him who sent me. Uh, so he uses this illustration of a child and a childlike dependency in the way that uh, this kid uh, in the lap of Jesus is someone that constantly in in desperate need. That's the state of how all Christians should be. Uh, later on, Mark chapter ten, verse forty-two. Uh, to 45, uh, they have the, uh, they were, the disciples again were, um, uh, again, debating amongst themselves. 
and uh, Jesus tells him the chapter 10 verse let's see 40 yeah 40 for uh, 40 oh sorry 41 hearing this the 10 began to feel indignant with James and John called them to himself Jesus said to them you know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great men exercise authority over them but it's not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. Whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So again, this is Christ stating that this is the mark of a Christian, that uh, true greatness in the eyes of the Lord is not based on status, not based on recognition, it's not based on anything that uh, we can achieve. But true greatness is serving and humbly submitting yourself to putting yourself last, putting everyone else first. This is in uh, Philippians 2, where uh, uh, Paul writes that we need to prefer others as more important than ourselves. Um, Romans 12, as, as well, Paul writes that we need to give preference to one another. It's this Christian-like attitude to always think lowly of ourselves uh, so, and, and put others before uh, before us. And uh, one final reference in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 20, uh, verse 25 28, Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great men exchanged authority over them. It is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. Whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as said, a man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Again, this is just a cross-reference to the Mark passage. And if you want to see God's work through your life, you must be a humble servant. You must view yourself lowly. Pride is often the uh, pride. Prideful people are often people that rarely see the goodness of God. Uh, they, they rarely see how God uh, uh, uses them to achieve His end. That's what's one of those, uh, I guess, the negative in the Book of Esther is that no one there acknowledges God. People praise Mordecai, people elevate Mordecai, there was celebration for him, but no one actually uh, was was wise enough to see that it was actually God that, that used every single one of the individuals to deliver them. So if you want to uh, really cherish the Lord more, you must first acknowledge yourself as a humble servant to all. And when you are humble, uh, you start seeing how the Lord uses not just you, but other people in a way that is beyond you and you praise God for him. You worship God more because you can see how amazing he is using weak vessels for his glory. So that's one of the first great reversals is that the last becomes first. The second is the suffering becomes a comforter. You call in Esther, Mordecai uh, first brought uh, his actions uh, against Haman is what brought all the Jews into this path of destruction. Uh, and at the end of chapter uh, two or chapter three of Esther, the whole, all the people, all the Jews particularly, were confused. Uh, they were, they didn't, ha- they had no clue what was happening. All of a sudden, randomly, there was this edict saying that in a year from now, all the Jews are going to die. And now there's a flip. Um, Esther, uh, a Jew, uh, and even now, in some sense, Mordecai gives them all this comfort. It gives them this um, assurance that they're not going to be killed. Again, if you're a Jew uh, living in this area, you have no idea what's going on with, uh, in the background with uh, Queen Esther, Haman, and Mordecai. You would think that the, uh, the city is crazy because 
uh, one day you'll have this thing say you're going to be killed in a year. And a few weeks uh, or months later, you get another note saying, oh, just kidding. Now you can fight back against those who want to go against you. And that gives comfort because it gives them assurance that their lives are uh, uh, they're, they're safe now. Um, there's a, uh, there's a, a comfort in knowing that they're now protected or now they're able to defend themselves. And they have the authority of the government to do so. Um, and I wonder if that's how, uh, after all of this, uh, if the Jews, uh, you know, shared this type of comfort with, with one another, they look back. And I mean, that's what pure, the whole thing with Purim is about. It's supposed to look back about how the Lord, or not even the Lord, but how the Jews were spared and give them comfort that somehow uh, uh, someone will deliver the Jews. Remember, I said that the only uh, time in the whole book of Esther where it's like the closest to a theological statement by Mordecai was found in chapter 4, verse 12, where uh, he was talking with Esther, saying that if Esther does not uh, step in, uh, deliverance will rise for Jews in another place. And Purim is, is, is almost like a assurance of that truth, that no matter how bad things get, the Jews will always be delivered. And they use things to, the Purim, to remind themselves of that, to give comfort, knowing that the Lord will always protect his people, even though they don't acknowledge the Lord. Second Corinthians 1, 3 to 4, we, we understand this principle, that sometimes those that are suffering uh, will suffer for a season, and eventually will become comforters for others. Second Corinthians 1, Chapter three, uh, chapter one, verse three and four. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comforts, who comforts us in all our afflictions, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Trials are both designed to be a means for your sanctification, as well as um, a school teacher. It's supposed to teach you things about the Lord. Um, uh, in ways that without this trial you will not have learned. Um, we see God's goodness in giving us comfort in those trials so that in time uh, God will give us the ability to comfort others. And I mean, even when we look at this whole COVID-19 thing, um, I remember, if you recall, several weeks ago when Bill gave the, uh, the church family meeting Devo, he made references to those in the past who went through um, other types of uh, financial turmoils or other types of um, great catastrophes, uh, and they've they've all went they they went through it. Um, and it's always amusing to me that some of the people that worry less about this are the elderly people because they're like, oh, we've been th- through something similar like this before. This is nothing new to them, and that gives us comfort as people who've not ha- ever gone through something even remotely close to this. Uh, that God is is going to is going to deliver us one way or another. Things are going to be okay. I mean, if you look back in Scripture, the whole book of Psalms is a book of uh, different writers writing about God's deliverance. Uh, every single one of them have suffered in a different way, and they relate to us. And when we read the Psalms during times of suffering, it, we read it a lot because it, 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 we understand that the, the, the pain and the turmoil that comes within our lives, and there's always assurance in the Psalms to trust in the Lord. Um, if you just keep reading through the Psalms, you'll see how all these places about how I trust in you and the Lord. You are my steadfast rock. You are my, uh, you are my, uh, uh, deliverer. You are my savior. All of these different synonyms are used to talk about the Lord. It's intended because they've been through it. 
and they're recording these things so that people uh, in future generation of believers can meditate on these truths. The world may use their afflictions to boast about their triumphs, but when we suffer, we boast about the Lord's ability to deliver us through our triumphs. Our view of trials are different from the world, and uh, when we understand how uh, suffering, uh, uh, we go through suffering, so it gives us the ability to be comforters um, in ways that uh, the world can't offer. You know, the world talks about, oh yeah, you can get through it, but it leaves it at that. But when we talk about comfort, we talk about something that even transcends this life. We give them comfort in this life, and we also give them comfort of the life that is to come. Uh, so it's like a win-win for us. It goes beyond just, oh yeah, well, things are going to get better. But like, no, there, it is going to get better because we have uh, salvation in the Lord. And the Lord uses our suffering and it, makes, and, and it makes us comforters. So take heart in knowing that as you suffer through this trial now, that the Lord is, is, is sanctifying you to be more like Christ and they eventually will use you to cause someone else to be made more like Christ. Um, so that's the second great, great reversal. First is the last becomes first, and second is the suffering becomes the comfort, comforter. Third, the fool becomes the wise. The fool becomes the wise. Um, throughout the book of Esther, there were many fools. And uh, the reason why I say that is because no one acknowledged God. Uh, even though they were saved uh, by the Lord, they failed to deliver, uh, to, to, to give praise and, and, and glory to the Lord. Um, and, you know, before we become overly critical of the Jews then, understand that we do exactly the same. Every single time that we get to point A to point B, driving safely and coming back home without a scratch on us, and we think, oh, I was an attentive driver today, that's, that's, a, that's a form of pride. We fail to acknowledge that God is the one who actually protected us. Every single time that we have food on the table and we fail to give thanks for the even the smallest grain of rice, we are um, fa- we fail to acknowledge the Lord. Um, uh, and every uh, promotion, every good thing that we have, if we don't praise the Lord for it, um, it's just because we think too highly of ourselves. We're no different from the Jews at this time. Uh, we we think, oh, uh, it's the reason why we are still here is because of something of our doing. Or if we acknowledge God, is always in the shallow, uh, in shallow ways. So if you, and I've even said this uh, earlier when we're going through the Book of Esther, that sometimes we see our sin best in other people, and I think we see that here. We see the sin of failure to acknowledge the Lord in the life of all the Jews here. They all fail to acknowledge God. Um, but we can learn from this. We can learn that, okay, we don't want to be fools. Uh, we don't want to just have a celebration called Purim and that's it. We don't want to make some sort of uh, holiday. That We need to go beyond that. We want to be people that declares um, the, uh, the, the goodness, the gospel. And we understand Christians now are perceived as backwards and foolish. Uh, the way that we view creation, the way we view sin, the way we view gender, and in every sense of, in everything in regard to morality, uh, we're seen as fools. Um, uh, we are seen as people that are out of date or out of touch with reality, when reality is we're actually wise because of Christ. Um, Psalm 14, uh, verse 1 of 3, this is again a familiar psalm to all of us, tells us that the fool 
Let me make sure I read it right. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupted. They have committed abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. The Lord has looked down upon heaven, upon the sons of men, to see if there are any who understand, who seek after him. They all have turned aside to come. They Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. See, the fool is someone, uh, biblically speaking, is someone that, there are, there's actually two ways the Bible describes a fool. And one is someone who refuses to acknowledge God. And the second one is what Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 1, where he says how uh, the foolishness of the gospel is what we preach. First uh, Corinthians 1, verse 18, uh, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and cleverness of the clever. I will set aside, where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of the age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God, the word, the world through his, through its wisdom did not come to know God. God has, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Uh, for indeed Jews ask for signs and Greeks ask for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolish. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greek, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. You understand that um, we are, at this time as Christians, are perceived as fools. Uh, and that's because that's, you know, they refuse to acknowledge God. Uh, and that's normal. Uh, but we have a message to declare. We, our message seems foolish to the world, but it's actually the wisest is loaded with wisdom. Uh, Steve Lawson once said, I think it was his last Shepherds Conference, that if you were to gather every single man at the Shepherds Conference to come up with a divine plan for salvation, no one will come up with the gospel. No one will have the audacity to come up with something that's, that is like the gospel. Because and it's true, the way that the gospel is, it sounds foolish to the world. Think about it. It's about a God who became a man, a Jewish man in particular, uh, to live a perfect life and die for sinners, undeserving sinners, so that they could be reconciled to God. He rose again three days later. That is totally counter to every false religion. Every other false religion talks about what you need to achieve to get into heaven, whereas uh, the Bible clearly speaks that there's nothing that you can do to achieve salvation. And that seems foolish because our sinful nature uh, forces us to want to uh, have self-praise and, and self-acknowledgement, self-recognition. But the gospel, the foolishness of the gospel, makes your heart turn from yourself and to look to Christ. So if you want to see God use uh, you, uh, remember, just it's, it's okay to just acknowledge the fact that the gospel that you preach to the world may seem foolish to them, but is actually the wisest thing. Uh, the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So take heart. Uh, the gospel that we hold is greater than anything that this world has uh, come up with. Uh, it may seem foolish to the world, but in reality, it is it is um, the wisdom of God. So those are the three great reversals that we'll, that we'll look at today. Um, the last becomes first, the suffering becomes a comforter, and the fool becomes wise. Uh, tomorrow we'll look at maybe two or three. And um, again, each of these we look at with a hope to see, like, God does use things that we don't 
the, the, our least expected uh, for his glory. And as we see these truths in scripture, um, it should make us be thankful that we're serving such a great God. Uh, thank you for listening. I will see you guys tomorrow.